our scripture for today is 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in, the cri- the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. This is the word of the Lord. And you're going to have a seat? All right. It is really, really, really good to be here. Um, uh, As Tim said, my name is Jeff Nine. I'm going to try not to destroy everything on stage uh, as I do this. Uh, it's, it's a joy to be here because, as Tim said, this is, this is something that we've been praying about and talking about for a long time. Um, and to see the fruit that God's already bringing. And I think we're one year in to what God's doing. And, and it's not like God was sitting around twiddling his thumbs until all of a sudden sacred mission showed up. He's always been at work. But to watch what he's been doing through this church over the last year gives me a lot of hope for what he's going to do through this church for the next 40, for the next 80. Like, what might God do over not just the years, but the decades? And that's what I'm, I'm really, really hopeful for. Uh, my name, uh, again, is Jeff Nine. I'm, I, I get to serve as one of the pastors at Frontline Church in Oklahoma City. And, and my job actually is, uh, my, my job title is to pastor for church planning and church strengthening. And so um, we as a church want to see more gospel-centered churches planted, uh, both in the Oklahoma City area and around Oklahoma, yes, but also in rural Iowa. Uh, we also have a church planner in Mumbai, India. We're working with church planners. I was just texting this weekend with some church planners that are working in northern Iraq to train smuggling, uh, uh, smuggling church leaders out of Iran into Iraq, which is kind of crazy when Iraq's the safe place, uh, and then smuggle them back in so that they can plant churches. And, it's, and it's, just, it's hearing stories of what God is doing. But what God is doing, while he's doing things globally, he's always doing things in a place. He's always doing things in a place. And so we can celebrate what God's doing out there, and that's a beautiful thing. But let's never miss what God's doing right here, right here. And I just want to say from Frontline Church, um, blessings from our church. We're so grateful for you. We pray for you often. We prayed for you just in, in the church that I serve at last weekend or two weekends ago. Prayed for you as, uh, on Sunday. And just am really proud of you and, and really grateful for what God is doing. Um, as we get started this morning, I just want to start also by saying, um, can I lure this? I know the answer is yes. I just got to figure out how. There we go. Uh, if you're not a Christian here this morning, I just want to say thank you for being here. I'm really, really glad you're here. The, it's, a, it's a brave thing to come into a place where you may be surrounded by a bunch of people that believe something that you're not sure you believe. But I just want to say this, is a, this church is a safe place for you to bring your questions. To bring, there's, there's no doubt or no question or no challenge that you're facing that are, like, we're, that are off limits here and we're like, ah, you know, just take that, and, take that and go home. No, no, no. This is a safe place for hurting people. This is a safe place for people that are carrying a lot of pain. This is a safe place for people bringing a lot of questions. And so thank you for being here, and I hope that the, that the Spirit of God speaks to you through His Word, um, but I also know that leaders like Tim and, and others would love to walk with you through those questions. 
if you have them. So this morning we are continuing on. You guys have been working through 1 Thessalonians. So uh, Kim just read this passage in 1 Thessalonians 4. But here's what I want to start with is there are kinds of questions that we face that are kind of theoretical or feel esoteric or feel disconnected from reality. I remember being in college and studying some subjects, and I was like, I don't know why we're doing this. I, I had this conversation with my daughter doing geometry just like last week. She's like, why do I need to know this? I'm like, I don't know, but you do, right? <clears throat> there, there are questions that feel disconnected from lived experience, and I remember in college facing some of those questions, some in classes, but some just in life, and you're like, why do I need to know that? And then you get into life, and all of a sudden, some of those questions start making sense. Why? Because you're now living them. They now become real questions because they come out of lived experience. And, and that's what this passage is coming out of. This, the, the, this passage in 1 Thessalonians is coming out of not theoretical questions. These are not questions that people are just sitting around going, I wonder, I wonder. These are questions coming out of lived experience. There's pains that they're facing, and they're wondering where the answers to those pains are coming from. So I'm going to read this passage again. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. If you have your Bibles, pull them out and follow along. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. God, I'm asking that you'd speak to our hearts this morning. We don't need just simply more knowledge. I don't need more data in my brain. I need you to speak to my heart. My brothers and sisters here this morning don't need more data I'm asking you to speak to their souls, that we might not just know more things, but that we might hope greater things, and that we might be encouraged, even if we're in the midst of a lot of chaos and tragedy. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, it's important to recognize 1 Thessalonians is actually one of the first letters Paul's ever written in the New Testament. So for us, we've had this Bible, and maybe we've been surrounded by them since we were young children. But for these believers, they had no part of the New Testament. The scriptures they had with the Old Testament and what they knew about Jesus had been passed on by other people. Maybe there were some writings floating around. Paul had come and taught them. But they didn't have, when they had questions, they didn't have a New Testament to go to, to go, Paul, explain to me the end of the earth. That's what They didn't have that. So Paul right now is speaking to questions that they have when they don't have a New Testament to run to, but the beauty is that he wrote them down so that we would have them to come to. Paul wants them to grow in knowledge. There's a lot of theology in 1 Thessalonians. He wants them to grow in knowledge, and he also wants them to grow in action. You guys have talked about this the last couple of weeks, that he calls us to live in a way that accords with the good news of Jesus. But he wants us to mature, not just in what we know and not just in what we do, but in what we hope. He actually wants us to grow in how 
we hope. See, he's writing this people, writing this to a people who are suffering. The whole point there of encouragement is to realize that he's actually speaking to a place in where encouragement is needed. The, there are many things happening in this church in which people are actively in pain. He's not simply writing about what might happen in the future. He's writing to people who are experiencing things in the present. And he tells them in the midst of their pain and in the midst of their their loss, he doesn't tell them don't grieve. He says grieve differently. So let's look at what this is about because the reason that this text means matters so much for us this morning is there are only two kinds of people in this room. There are those who right now are actively feeling the weight of loss and death and those who will. There are only two kinds of people in this room right now, those who are actively carrying right now the grief and the suffering that comes with death and those who will. See, death can be really confusing, and it really, really, really hurts. I don't have to tell you that if you've experienced it. Death can not only bring a lot of pain, it brings a lot of disorientation. It brings a lot of questions that we don't know how to process. I was speaking with a friend of mine. Uh, her name's Amanda. She's brilliant. Uh, and when I say brilliant, she just finished her PhD and she's working on her MD at the same time. I'm like, I don't, I don't even know how you do that. We were talking about, she's in med school right now working on next steps and she's been praying about what it is the Lord's leading her to. What are the next steps that the Lord's leading her to? And as we were, we were talking about it, she said, I, the Lord has clearly called me to something. Again, I told you she's brilliant, right? Brain surgery. God's called her into brain surgery. But here's what she said. She goes, I didn't want to do it because I knew it was going to bring me face to face with death and destruction on a regular basis, and I didn't want to be there. You see, these aren't just questions of esoteric, that are esoteric. These are questions that are real, and she was afraid to be stepping into something where she's constantly confronted by real people suffering real things in real time. Two weeks ago, a friend of mine, um, his daughter died because of an explosion in a house. A few months ago, a friend of mine who's a church planner in Mexico contracted COVID, and the hospitals were full, and he was hesitant to go. He finally went, and he didn't make it. Like, these are, these are real things. These are real things that we face. And I was talking with people. I got in Friday night, and Tim and I have been talking all along, but we were talking even over this weekend, and I met with multiple people who are actually suffering loss here, right now in Collins. Like, this is no distant question for Collins. This is no distant questions for Maxwell. No distant question for Colo. These are lived things that right now there are people that are experiencing this in this community. And what happened for the church in Thessalonica, or Thessalonica is that these questions or these pains led them to ask certain questions as to what this would mean for people who had died. You see, Paul had taught the church at Thessalonica that Jesus one day would return. Now, we think that many of them assumed that would happen inside of their lifetimes. They thought Jesus was going to return before they died. And they're waiting and they're longing for the time when Jesus, who had come to earth, had taught the way of life, had been crucified on a Roman cross, 
And all of a sudden, they're in despair because of the death of Jesus. But then God raised Jesus from the dead. Unbelievable. And for, for weeks and weeks, he walked with them on the earth. And then he said this. He says, I'm going back to my father, but I'm coming back. And they were waiting for his return. But as they were waiting, some of their friends and family started dying. And their question, not having a New Testament to run to, the question is, what about them? What about them? Are, are they going to be able to celebrate with us when Jesus returns, or do they get left behind? That's the question they're asking. And Paul answers it in two different ways. Look at verses 13 and 14. Paul says this, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Fallen asleep here is a, is a euphemism for death. And here's what he's saying. There, Christ is alive, and because he's alive, those who have died will be brought to life. This is glorious hope. That death doesn't get the last word. The, the, what Paul starts with is simply to say that death isn't the final state. Death's a reality, but death's not the final state. Just as Christ is now alive, they will live together with him. Death still stings, but ultimately death can't kill us. Death stings, but ultimately death can't kill us. Then he points to the second reason, verses 15 through 18. Let's look at it. For this we declare to you by the word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Not only is Christ alive, and because of that, death doesn't get the final word, but Christ is coming back, and he's coming back for us. He's coming back for us. Now, Paul here gives the church at Thessalonica a rundown on the order of events that's coming. And he's doing this to build hope. Because their question, remember, their question is, are those of our friends and family that have died going to be left out on the party on the end of this thing? Or do they get to participate? And so this is what Paul, he runs down the order. He says, here's what's going to happen first. Jesus, who went to heaven, will descend from heaven. He's coming back. He's going to come with a cry of command, a cry of the archangel, and with the sound of a trumpet. That may sound weird. I mean, I... I'm partial to a little bit of banjo, maybe electric guitar. I don't know, pick your instrument. Why a trumpet? I played trumpet in junior high. They're annoying sounding, at least when a junior higher is behind them. Right? The reason that this language is used is because it's pointing them. Remember, they don't have a New Testament. It's pointing back to the Old Testament. The Old Testament, this language is used to talk about what the Old Testament calls the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord was the time in which Yahweh, their God, would set right what had been set wrong. You see, one of the things that has been taught throughout all of Christian history, and even through the Jewish, uh, in the, the times of the Jews, was that God created everything good, but sin has made a mess of it. 
God created everything new or good, but sin has made a mess of it. But one day, one day, God's going to crush the enemies that have brought sin and death and destruction in, into the world, and he will reign victorious. That day is the one that all Jewish people had been longing for. And then as Christ comes and the Christians look forward to this hope that one day God will set right what's been set wrong. That's, this image is to say, hey, remember when, when God talked about this? That's what's going to happen. God is going to set right what has been set wrong. Then he continues on. Paul says the dead will rise first. So remember, their question is like, hey, what's going to happen to the people that are dead? Are they going to miss out on the party? He goes, no, they show up first. They get there when the appetizers are there. They get VIP status. They're there early. Don't think they've lost out on it. They're going to be the first to partake. Then he says that we who are alive will be caught up into the air. It says that, that, um, that we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Matthew 24 has this incredible parable. Jesus is talking about things that will happen in the future. And this, let's just be honest, some of it's kind of confusing if you go back and read Matthew 24. But he gives this story about 10 wise and unwise, or ten, ten virgins or bridesmaids is, is basically what he's talking about. Five of them are wise and five are unwise. And in this particular story, I'm not gonna, I'm, we're not going to talk about that passage a ton, but what it compares the return to Jesus of is it compares it to when a, when a groom would come into the wedding party when he got married. So in, 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 uh, in the tradition of the day, in the tradition of the day, there'd be this epic party at the end of the, 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 the wedding ceremony. And I don't know all the details on all of this, but there'd be this massive party and the groom would be one of the last ones to come in to meet his bride. But when he was coming in, when he was, a lo- when he was heading towards the party, the bridal party, the groomsmen and the bridesmaids would come out with lanterns lit and would meet the groom and then they would escort him into the party. They would come in with him. It was a celebration. And what he's saying here is the first people that get to join the party are those that have already passed. But even those of us that are still alive, we will be caught up, pulled together with Jesus, and we will escort him in to the party. In essence, everyone gets to participate. And we get to be with Jesus forever. Now, this is their particular question. The particular question of the church of Thessalonica revolves around what happens to those that have died. But I think there's actually a question behind the question, if you know what I mean. Sometimes we ask a question, but there's really something else that's kind of lurking back there. And I think what they're asking is they're, they're, they're wondering what happens to those that have died, but they're, but they're really asking this question. Is the gospel of Jesus good news for everyone or only for some? You see what I'm saying? They're worried that some will be left out of the party. And they're wondering when God brings his good news, when God declares his gospel, is this good news for everybody or is this only good news for a select few? And here's why I want us to look at this passage from that angle of that question. And what Paul does in this text is he tells them to look ahead at future hope. 
to look ahead at future hope. And here's what Paul says. All believers, everyone who has been united to Jesus by faith, every single one of them, will get a chance to participate in Christ's return. They will join him in his victory. And he tells them, I want you to look ahead at the hope of the day when Jesus comes back. The five longest months of my life were not COVID, though that has been a long five, eight, ten months. It's been three years. I don't know how long we've been in this COVID mess. Um, but actually, my long, the longest five months of my life was between July uh, 5th, 2002, and December 14th, 2002, because that was the time I was engaged to my wife, but not yet married. December could not have come fast enough. Like from July 6th, I'm like, it's December, right? It's December, right? It's December, right? I'm longing for something in the future. And it was actually a beautiful time. It was, it was a, a time of anticipation. I, I kept being able to look forward and go, man, I can't wait for that day to get here. And it brought a lot of hope and it brought a lot of joy to my heart. Paul's saying, I want you to look ahead and realize the beauty is when we get there, nobody's going to miss out on the party. Nobody's going to miss out on the party. I want you to look ahead to the time when Jesus comes back and he destroys death. I want you to, I want you to look forward to the day when, when it's not a question of what happens to those that have died because there is no more death. That's what he wants us to look ahead to. He also says this, and I want to be very clear about this. He doesn't say stop grieving, stop crying. Hey, you realize that we're going to party in the end, right? Stop crying. That's not, that's not his posture. But he does say, your grieving will look different because you know that hope's around the corner. You will grieve different because hope is around the corner. There's a second reason that Paul points us to this future hope, and it's that we will be in the presence of the Lord forever. See, the party is not the prize. Jesus is the prize. The party at the end when Jesus returns is only a party because Jesus is there. What he points us forward to is the time when the one who is our hope will be with us. He will be with us. So you may be sitting there thinking, especially for some of you that are carrying a lot of weight into this room. For some of you that came in, you came in really heavy. Maybe it's because of a death of a loved one. Maybe it's because of sickness of a loved one. Maybe it's, maybe it's something else. You came in really heavy. And you go, hey, Jeff, that's really nice that someday everything's going to be better. But what about today? What about today? My friend Sean, who lost his daughter two weeks ago and is right now in the hospital trying to recover. Future hope is beautiful, but it doesn't take away the pain of the now, does it? It doesn't take away the pain of the now. So the question is, what, what kind of way, in what kind of way does future hope actually speak to my, my current status? How does, how does what's going to happen then actually change now? That's the question that has to be asked. And the posture of the New Testament is always this. 
look ahead and realize that what God will do, he is already doing. What God will do, he is already doing. Moses in Exodus, in chapter 4, um, Jesus, or uh, God, Yahweh, comes to Moses and he says, I, I'm going to lead you back from, from this desert into Egypt, and you're going to lead the Israelite people who are enslaved right now. You're going to go and bring them out from Egypt and take them to this land that I have promised to give you, and I will be with you the entire way. And so Moses embarks on heading to Egypt to lead the Israelites out of slavery with a promise that one day in the future, God will be with them in the promised land. It's a beautiful promise. But if you read through Exodus, things don't always go smoothly. And by chapter 33, they have faced all kinds of difficulties, all kinds of challenges, and all kinds of sin has created all kinds of mayhem. And at one point, Moses is pleading with God and says, if you don't go with us now, we cannot go another moment. Moses knew that he wanted, he wanted Yahweh with them in the promised land in the future, but he also realized, I need you right now with me. Which is exactly why Jesus promises in Matthew 28 these words, starting in verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Side note, that's, that's incredible. Jesus was dead in a tomb. He's no longer dead. And some are like, I just don't know about this thing. I just don't, I don't know. So if there's doubt in the room, like, it's okay. There were doubt here when Jesus, when Jesus had already beat death with a stick. All right, that's side note. You got that one for free. You got to pay for the rest. No. Um, and some doubted, but Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And listen to these words. And lo- behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The promise of the presence of God is not that someday we will be with him, but that he is with us now. His presence not only will be with us then, but by his Spirit, his presence is with us now. See, this isn't some kind of escapist theology. This isn't some kind of uh, a way of running away from the pain of what we face in this life. It's not a way of trying to, uh, trying to just numb out or, or it's not some delusional hope. What this is instead is actually resting in a promise, not just of a promise of the future, but a promise of the present. That what God will do, he is already now doing. We live in the shadow of the day that will be to come. That hope is actually affecting my present in deep and profound ways. See, even in grief, we can hope. He tells us here in 1 Thessalonians to encourage one another with these words. Why? Because some days we need to be encouraged because some days it just hurts. 
Some days it just hurts. Part of what it means to be a body, a church, is to come alongside when we're in grief, when our brothers and our sisters are in grief, and go, hey, look ahead to that day and remember that person, the, the one who will fix all things in the future is with us now. But this promise, this promise is only found in Jesus. Like, this is amazing news. But this is not news that God has given you a gift apart from himself. The good news is that Christ is the gift. Christ is the gift. The goodness, the hope that we have is not in something that Christ does, but in who he is. This hope, this hope that Paul gives the church at Thessalonica is not an abstracted hope, but it's a present one, and it's only present in Jesus. So here's my question for you. Do you know him? Do you know him? If you do, and I pray that many of you do, what Paul is saying here is that no matter what we face in life, he wants us to look ahead to future hope so that that future hope pulls back into the present and gives me present hope. And I can have present hope, and I can also come alongside those who are nearby that need a reminder of that. I can be the presence of God, or I can be the, the presence of His grace with people that are in need. I get to come alongside those that are hurting and bring this hope of the gospel to them. But I also just want to say this. If you don't know him, you can meet him today. We get to celebrate new life right after, right after the service. And you don't have to wait for some future time in the, fu- in, the, in the future to meet Jesus. You can come to him today. Because here's the hope that we have. It's Jesus. Not in Jesus' stuff, not on what Jesus might do, but in Jesus himself, his present presence with us. Let's pray. God, I thank you that grief doesn't get the last word. I thank you that death doesn't get the last word. And I pray that for my brothers and sisters in the room that, that you would bring hope to their hearts where they need it most. Where there's pain due to loss or there's pain due to fear. God, I pray that what they, have, what they know in their heads about your coming would actually flow down into their hearts and give them hope. That even in the midst of dark days, there's a day coming in which it won't be dark anymore. I pray, Jesus, that if there are some here today that don't know you, that haven't trusted you, that you would open their eyes to see you as you are, as their only hope. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Man, the, the promise that he's with us, that he's with us now, um, I mean, this is why 
communion is his idea. It's, it's communing with him and coming to him and him saying that, uh, man, he will, at that party, we will do this together. But as often as we do it, we're doing this in remembrance of him, communing with him. And so if you are a follower of Jesus, the warnings in scripture are not to come to this table quickly. Don't just rush. It's actually an amazing time to search our hearts as we sang that earlier or said that at the beginning of the service, to actually ask him to search our hearts. Uh, if there's any sin that he shows us, uh, beautifully, one or two weeks ago, we had people even asking other people to forgive them of some things that, that had happened relationally even before coming to the table. And man, like that's, that's what he's talking about, is if he shows us areas where, where we can actually repent and, and turn to him, like let, let's do that. Um, and then let's, let's meet with him and let's commune with him. And uh, there's wine and juice, they're labeled here, obey your conscience. There's a cup within a cup, so you could just come and grab one and we've been careful preparing this. Uh, and so if you separate the cups, you'll have the bread underneath, uh, then uh, the wine or the juice. If you are not yet a follower of Jesus, I would encourage you don't come here, uh, come to Jesus. Come to him and then come to the table. Uh, so let's let's all come and then the way we'll do is let's take it, we'll remain standing and then we'll take it together as family. So let's let's come to the Lord. Let's come to the table.